Well, good morning. Welcome to First Methodist Mansfield. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. And again, welcome if this is your first time uh, here with us. Uh, normally at this service, you'd be hearing from uh, Pastor Mike, who serves as our senior pastor. Uh, but he and I are swapping this weekend. If you don't know, we have seven weekend services, and he and I share the preaching responsibility for those services. And every once in a while, he says, I really want to preach Saturday night and sleep in on Sunday morning. I say, okay, I guess I'll, I'll come in early so you can sleep in. So uh, we are swapping this weekend, and uh, we do look forward to the time to to kind of share with the other side of the congregation. So pleased to be here with you as we continue this series, uh, Five Dumb Things That People Do to Mess Up Their Life. Now, I will confess to you up front that when I first, when we first came up with this title, the first thing I thought of was how much I enjoy watching people do dumb things. And how much you enjoy it too. Now, it's not the most affirming picture of humanity, but it's something that we all share. We, we like America's Funniest Home Videos, right? Uh, and, and you have watched for longer than you're willing to admit the game show, reality show, Wipeout. H- have you seen that? You know, there's this guilt that we feel in watching this because people look like they're dying, but they seem to be okay, so we keep laughing. We, we love those kinds of things. And so I thought I would start this morning by sharing uh, one with you. Humans, we mean well, but we're imperfect creatures living in a beautifully imperfect world. Sometimes the little things get us, and other times, the not so little. It's amazing we've made it this far. Maybe it's because when one of us messes up, someone else comes along to help out. At Liberty Mutual Insurance, we get that it's tough out there. And our job is to make it less tough. That's the thing about humans. When things are at their worst, we're at our best. See how at LibertyMutual.com. Liberty Mutual Insurance. Responsibility. What's your policy? So the first time I saw one of those commercials from that ad campaign, it was actually wasn't this one. It was the one where the guy lowers the basketball go, goal to, to dunk it, but doesn't properly anchor the goal, and so he dunks it and it falls over on top of his car. Y'all seen that one? I hit rewind like 10 times. I mean, I just had so much fun hitting rewind and watching this guy destroy his car. And, and I will say that part of what I enjoy about these commercials is I could see myself doing any of these things. I recognize my own capacity for doing really dumb things. So just this morning, 815 service, I'm wearing the robe. I don't wear the robe very often, okay? So in the services that I preach, we we don't wear robes. So I'm wearing the robe. I'm a little uncomfortable because I wear it three or four times a year. I'm down here closing out the service. And if you haven't seen the robe, you really should. I mean, it's quite impressive, but it kind of has these long hanging, you know, sleeves. So when you gesture that in, in the care connection area, and then there's this moment of clarity of, I'm just going to move that back real quick, you know. It was so close though. I mean, I almost lit myself on fire at the end of the service after preaching on dumb things that people do. That's, that's what I almost did this morning. So we recognize our own capacity for this, and that's actually the genius of the commercial. That's the genius of the ad campaign. You're a human being. You do dumb things. You need insurance to protect you from your own humanity. And wouldn't we love to live in a world 
where we could just buy an insurance product to keep us, to protect us from any and all dumb things that we might do. Unfortunately, we don't live in that world. We don't live in a world where it's, it's that, that simple. And, and so we come together, part of why we're here today is to acknowledge our need for direction, for insight, for wisdom in our life. This is how Jesus said it. He said, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And so we're here today acknowledging our need, acknowledging our own capacity to find ourselves on the wrong path and to say, God, lead us, give us wisdom to stay on that narrow path that leads to life. So let me start by asking you a very, very simple question. The question is this, if your life could somehow be everything you wanted it to be, what would that look like? If your life could somehow be everything that you wanted it to be, what would that look like? So t- take a moment and just tap into whatever that is for you. Whatever, however you would qualify that picture, whether it's related to finances or health or relationships, career, whatever it might be, if your life could somehow be everything you ever wanted it to be, what would that look like? If every aspiration, every dream, every longing that you have in your life, if that was somehow fulfilled, what would that look like? what would that be? And I want you to to wrestle with that question, to think about that question up front for a couple reasons. The first is, whatever your answer is to that question, whatever it might be, however you yourself would define it, what you need to understand is your answer has a dramatic influence on the direction of your life. Uh, For sci-fi fans, you might think of it as a tractor beam that pulls you in a particular direction for your life, taking you to a place that you may not intend to go, but your answer to that question of what that life will look like has a dramatic influence on where you go and how you live every single day, even if it's subtle, even if you've never really verbalized that to yourself, whatever you would say or you might feel about that is, has a dramatic influence on your life. But the second reason is, the scripture that I'm going to read to you today from Luke 12 is the story of someone whose life came to that place. He came to the place where he found what he perceived to be everything, and it was only then that he realized that it was absolutely worth nothing. So Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be, beginning in verse 13, but I want to set up the story for you in this way. So verse 1 of chapter 12 tells us that Jesus is teaching, and he's teaching to thousands, okay? So he's not just with his 12 disciples at this point. There are thousands of people, Luke tells us, who have come out to hear Jesus teach. There's so many people that, that, that the crowd is literally, again, according to verse 1, they are pressing in on one another, leaning in, trying to hear what Jesus might say to them. And so in the first 12 verses of Luke 12, that's what's happening. Jesus is speaking to thousands. He's teaching them. They're leaning in, trying to hear what he might say. And then in verse 13, this amazing scene is interrupted by a man who has a question. So so picture this, thousands of people, they're there listening to Jesus, and someone says, excuse me, big question here, I need this addressed. Verse 13, it says this, someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, 
Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, I have to imagine, because I'm a communicator, that, that Jesus would probably be a little bit perturbed. Like, like, maybe he was just getting into his rhythm. You know, he had some things to say. He was just getting warmed up. And then all of a sudden, he has this, this distraction, this interruption, this person that says, Jesus, I have an issue. I need you to deal with my issue. I know there's thousands of people here, but you need to talk to my brother because he's not properly dividing the inheritance with me. This is how Jesus responds. Man, who appointed me as judge or referee between you or your brother? So Jesus is a little bit perturbed by this. He, he, and, and so he responds to him, why do you think I want to deal with that? Who, who do you think made me a judge or a referee over this particular situation that you're dealing with? Now the irony is, that in those days, Jesus, a rabbi, would have received questions like this all the time. That was actually one of the things that they did. That was one of the functions that they provided for the community, is a rabbi would speak to the proper application of the law. That's who you went to as a judge, someone to help you uh, in settling a dispute that related to the, the laws and customs of, of Jewish living. So, so the man's actually acting in an appropriate way. Perhaps he's chosen a, a poor time to do it. But Jesus says, I don't want anything to do with this. Instead, he turns his attention back to the crowds. And, and this is what he says. Then Jesus said to them, all the thousands that were there, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. So Jesus wants nothing to do with the interruption, but he does use it as a teaching moment <laughs> to turn to the crowd and say, watch out for this. Because Jesus' perception is that there is a motivation behind the question that the man is asking, and it's not good. It's a motivation that Jesus says, you got to watch out for. you got to be on guard against any and all greed, because life isn't about what you own or what you possess. And then to this crowd, this crowd of people who are living in poverty like most of us could never imagine. So this crowd, he, he even adds this. He says, even if you're really, really rich, like, like not only do you have food for today, but you have food for tomorrow. I mean, that would have been an abundance for them. Even in that case, that's not what life is about. Life isn't about those things. It, it, it ties in with what Jesus has shared just a few chapters earlier, Luke 9. Now, this was just with the disciples. Uh, he, he said to them, if you want to follow me, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to take up your cross and follow me that way, carrying that burden, carrying that load. If you want to save your life, here's, this is going to sound strange, but you're actually going to have to lose your life. And, and he ends that teaching by asking his disciples this question. He says, what does it profit a man to gain everything? to gain the whole world, but in the process to lose one's soul. So, so to illustrate that point that Jesus has already shared to these thousands of people, he tells, he tells this story. He says, a certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Now, again, these crowds are probably really sympathetic to this man's pain, right? Oh, what a great problem for you. You have too much food. You don't know what to do with it. But this is the problem that he is dealing with. And, and so verse 13, then he thought to himself, well, here's what I'll do. I will tear down my barns 
where I store my abundance, and instead I'm, I'm just going to build bigger barns. That's where I'll store all my grains and all my goods. And when that happens, I will say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. So take it easy. Eat and drink and enjoy yourself. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things that you have prepared for yourself? It's a very short story. It's only four verses long. It's referred to as the parable of the rich fool. It's a story of a man who finds everything to only then discover that it was worth absolutely nothing. A man who thought, if I can somehow hold on to this abundance, if I can somehow keep it all for myself and, and, and set it aside and make sure that I'm comfortable and set for years to come, that I can sit back, I can relax, and I can finally enjoy my life. Now, now don't get caught here. Don't, don't, don't get sidetracked here. The problem for this man is not his abundance. It's not what he has. It's, it's, not, it's not that he's wealthy. The Bible does not speak of, of wealth itself as, as the sin. It's not a problem to have things. It's a problem to not know what to do with it. It's a problem to not know how to manage it in, in a proper way. So, so Christmas Eve, if you were here Christmas Eve, we collected an offering. We sent $55,000 to a ministry called Zoe Ministry that helps save orphans from a hopeless life. And you know, when we meet with them, you know what they say they need? They need money. <laughs> That's what they use. That's the resource that they utilize to transform people's lives. They use money. So understand, money is morally, wealth, possessions are morally neutral. They don't do anything to us. They, they can't change us. But when one has it, the scriptures would say, one has to know what to do with it. So here's this man who comes to a place where he finally has everything only then to realize he really has nothing. It's a story that leaves us with a question we have to wrestle with, the burning question. What is life really all about? What is your life really all about? So if life could somehow be everything that you wanted it to be, what would that look like? What is your life really all about? Bronnie Ware uh, is a nurse and in the course of her career, she spent a great deal of time offering care and compassion to people in the last 12 weeks of their life. And, and, and throughout that time, she's, she's developed relationships with them, again, offering care and compassion as they, as they deal with the final weeks of their life, shared lots of conversations. And one of the things that, is, that has happened on a very frequent basis is that, is that conversation often goes to, you know, what, what do you regret about your life? If, if you could live it all over again, if you could rewind the, wind the tape and start from the, fr start from the beginning, what would you do differently? And, 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 and over the course of her career, she was surprised by the clarity of what people understood about what they would do differently in their life when they approached the end of it. And so she began to archive those thoughts, these, these, these words of wisdom that she heard from people near the end of their life, talking about their regrets and how they would live life differently. She put that into a book, you may have seen it, Five Regrets of the Dying. 
And here's some of what she shares in that book. The first regret, I wish I had let myself be happier. She writes, many did not realize until the end that happiness is in fact a choice. They had stayed stuck in old patterns and habits. Fear of chains had them pretending to others and even pretending to themselves that they were content when deep within they were longing for so much more. Uh, Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Often, she said, they would not truly realize the full benefits of old friends until their dying weeks and it was not possible to track them down. Many had become so caught up in their own lives that they had let friendships slip by over the years. There were deep regrets, deep regrets about not giving friendship the time and effort that they deserved. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. She says, many people suppress their feelings in order to keep peace with others. As a result, they settled for a mediocre existence and never became who they were truly capable of becoming. The next one, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. She said, this came from every male patient that I nursed. They missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. All the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. And the final one, I wish I had the courage to live true to myself, not the life others expected of me. She said, when people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it is easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. This past week, I spent time with a young man in our church whose father recently passed away from cancer. Uh, His mother died of the same disease several years earlier, and so he found himself in the place as as the eldest child having to deal with the estate and also having to deal with all the things that his parents had accumulated over the course of their life. That, that problem was made more difficult in the fact that their house was in California and he was here, so he had to find some time on the calendar to, to fly to California to meet his sister there and to spend a few days going through their parents' home. You can imagine the difficulty of that experience. Many of you have done that yourselves, but he, he spoke of how hard it was to look at the items that filled that home and to, to make a decision of what to do with it. Will you keep it? Will you give it away to someone? At, what, do you, what do you do with all the stuff that they have accumulated over the course of their life? But he said, you know, nothing was more difficult, more emotionally draining, but also in some ways uh, sacred and, and fulfilling than to go through the boxes and boxes of pictures and photo albums that his mother had put together. He talked about looking at his baby book and and seeing the words that his mother had written in those early years of his life. He found letters that his parents had written to to loved ones over the course of their life. He found a whole stack of letters that his grandparents had sent to his father when his father was serving in, in Vietnam. He talked about going through each of those boxes and and how chronologically it just went through the the whole narrative of their life from the very beginning to the birth of their first child and their second child to to when they moved here and when they moved there and and all the the vacations and, and Christmas celebrations and all the things that they had done over the course of their life. He said, he said, you know, you just you couldn't sit there and not just think, you know. What is it that really matters to me in my life? What is it that really matters to me in my life? As I think about my parents and the life that they lived and the joys and the struggles and and all that they were, recognizing that they are now gone, but in some ways these moments, these memories live on in me, in my life, and in the life of my own children. 
He's telling me the story, and I couldn't help but think about last, last spring when my grandfather died. We, we called him Papa. Uh, he was 98 years old, and I remember that night when we gathered with our, with our family around the kitchen table in my uncle's house, a, a kitchen table that was full of pictures that my uncle was scanning to prepare for the slideshow for the service the next day, just looking at a table full of images that were the archive of this man's life. A man we loved and treasured, a godly man who blessed us in tremendous, amazing ways to, to see all these images, to, to be reminded of those places and those experiences and those moments. It was, it was strange for me because a man who, who had dealt with Alzheimer's for 20 years, a man who I had said goodbye to over the course of decades, in a strange, surreal, sacred way, that night he came alive to me again. Alive, not as, not as the man who, who, who wouldn't, didn't recognize his grandson when he came to the, to the nursing home, but as a man who had walked with me to his garden to pick the ripe tomatoes. The man who had sat with me on his uh, leather couch, his fake leather couch that would squeak and creak as you moved around on it and watched television there in, in his living room. Seeing those images, that, that moment came alive to me. I remember what it was like to sit in his living room and to be in the garden, to see the picture of his face lit up with this massive smile as he held an ice cream cone filled with his favorite thing in the world, about this high, Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream. Nothing was better than that for Papa. He came alive in that moment as we remembered this, this sacred and holy man who had blessed us in tremendous, tremendous ways. Now, my papa, when he died, he died with almost no worldly possessions left. Almost nothing left. When we went to the nursing home, we, we, we picked up the, the clothes from his uh, closet, and, and then the only other thing, really, that was sitting in that room was this table. And someone said, well, we should, we should take this table. And so I picked it up, and I put it in my car, and and I, and I brought it to my house, and no one else was really interested in it, and so I asked if I could have it, and they said yes, and, and so I have kept this table. Now, I don't know anything about this table. I mean, he may have got it two years ago. It may be a family heirloom that's been passed down for generations. I, I don't know. I don't know anything about this table. Here's what I know about this table. In the last room in which he lived, it sat there, and so it sits in my office. In the same condition that it was in his room, my wife has asked me about, you know, getting it refinished. She said, no, 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 I want it just like this. Doesn't match anything? That's fine. I want it just like this. I want this to be in the place where I go and I sit and I be still and I say, God, help me to know what really matters in life. Help me to know those things. Help me to know. This is all I have left for my papa. But I want you to hear this very, very carefully. It is more than enough. It is more than enough. Because he was a man who knew what life was really all about. And because he knew it, he gave that gift to his sons and he gave, he gave that gift to his, to his grandsons and his granddaughters. It's more than enough. What is your life really all about? If it could be everything that you wanted it to be, what, what would that look like? And if that, if that were to happen, 
Would that be a picture of someone who finally discovered everything? Or would it be someone dealing with life's ultimate disappointment? Finding that everything has turned into nothing. What's the, what's the dumb thing that people do to mess up their life? They lose everything in the pursuit of absolutely nothing. They sacrifice what really matters for something that doesn't matter at all. They lose their life, something that happens for all of us one day. But they realize too late that they miss their chance to find anything of real value along the way. Here, here's how Mike said it in his sermon last night. When you recognize what you would die for, you understand what you should live for. When you recognize what you would die for, you understand what you should live for. And so I charge you to be careful, to take care with this question. What is your life really all about? Take some time this week and go to a quiet place and think about what is my life all about? Look at your calendar. Go through your checkbook. Think about the things that excite you. Think about the things that worry you. Ask yourself the question, if life doesn't change anything from where it is today, five years from now, what am I going to regret about my life? Take some time and think about the question, what is your life all about? Because your answer to that question determines the direction of your life. And Jesus said, wide is the road that leads to destruction and regret, but narrow is the path that leads to life. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we need you. We need you, Lord, because there are things in life that we cannot protect ourselves from outside of wisdom and insight and direction. And so for all of us, Lord, I pray that you would give us time to pause, to sit back, to to ask ourselves the question, what is our life really all about? so that, Lord, we can stay on the path, the path that leads to an abundant, joy-filled, and blessed life. And as we think about that process, Lord, as we consider what our lives are all about, may we also remember, Lord, that, that there are so many who are counting on us. Lives who are supposed to receive from us an eternal and sacred blessing. God, help us to be faithful to that sacred responsibility. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.